and it will be recorded and on there later today. So, uh, yes, I'm Stacey. Nice to see all of you. I'm really happy to be standing up and moving because I'm cold. It's cold in here. So if anybody needs to stand up and move around, just feel free. I won't, uh, won't say anything to you about that. But this is definitely a treat for me this morning. Scripture and breakfast are two of my absolutely favorite things. And when you put them together, I'm just not sure that there's really any better combo than that. We love breakfast at our house. In fact, I would go so far as to say, when we make vacation decisions, we make them sometimes based on breakfast. Not even kidding you. Is there a breakfast buffet on the premises? Is there a really good breakfast buffet place where we can go? We love breakfast buffets. I might even go so far as to say, we're breakfast buffet connoisseurs a little bit. Craig and I really like breakfast buffets a lot. COVID has kind of been wreaking havoc on our, our love of breakfast buffets just a little bit. Um, our favorite hotel chain, I don't know if any of you could guess it, but is the Embassy Suites. Is anybody with me? Have you had the Embassy yeah. Suites breakfast buffet? Okay. If you have not, it is well worth the money to stay at Embassy Suites, okay? So as you can imagine then, um, about a month and a half ago, we went to Arizona. We took the kids with us to Arizona, and I was so excited when I realized that we had to stay in a hotel the night before we flew home. And so, okay, I'll book us a night at the Embassy Suites. This will be great, and then we can have that fantastic buffet breakfast that we love in Phoenix. So I had actually talked to another family and heard, yes, the Embassy Suites is doing their breakfast buffet because I knew a lot of hotels were doing things, a lot of things differently because of COVID. The only difference was they were serving you now. You couldn't just go up and serve yourself. And I thought, that's fine. I like being served. Totally fine with that. <laughs> Embassy Suites it is. I booked us our night at the hotel. All week long, we had a fantastic vacation with the kids. Really loved it. I highly recommend Arizona to you if you have never been there before. Uh, we get to our hotel all week long. We, you know, we were gonna, this is gonna be great, guys. We're gonna finish our vacation at the Embassy Suites. We're gonna have that great breakfast. Do you guys remember it? Like, all that bacon you can, you can have as much as you want, and the made-to-order omelet station, and the sausage. I mean, you know, we're talking it up all week long. So we get to our hotel, had a great vacation, walk in, check in, and we, of course, asked the lady, you know, so there is breakfast, right? She's like, oh, yes, yes, there's breakfast. It's a little bit different than it was, you know, prior to COVID, but there's definitely still breakfast. I'm like, okay, and where is that? She's like, oh, it's right here. And I look around the lobby, I'm like, that's a little bit small for a made-to-order omelet station, but maybe they're going to transform this place into my <laughs> magical breakfast land. I don't know. So... Okay, great, thanks. We'll be down in the morning for breakfast before we leave for the airport. We wake up in the morning, we get all dressed, we're greatly anticipating this great breakfast. We walk downstairs to the lobby and see nothing. Walk up to the lady at the counter. Is there breakfast? Yes. She hands us six white paper bags with a prepackaged muffin, a peach yogurt, and a spork. <laughs> This is not my made-to-order omelet station. I was very disappointed because I most of the time eat keto in the first place, so I was not eating a prepackaged muffin or a peach yogurt anyway. I was thankful for the food, but as you can imagine, there was a great disappointment among me and my children and Craig as we had been vastly anticipating this great breakfast that we were going to have to end our vacation. In fact, the disappointment 
was so deep, I may or may not have turned to Craig and said, man, we just got hosed. <laughs> to which the very next second I hear, mommy, what's hosed? <laughs> Oops. I know you moms have been there before. You probably said something that you didn't mean to say. So then I had to explain what the word hosed meant. And then the rest of the day, you can guess it. They spent the day saying everything was hosed. Oh. We're on the airplane. Man, I just got hosed. Guys, stop saying you got hosed. And secondly, that's not how you use that word. <laughs> May have said that just a few times. Now I understand that's a very silly example. There was no harm done. It was fine. We had food. Really not a big deal. I'm thankful for the food that we have. Eat, had, even though we were quite disappointed not to have the made-to-order omelet station. But the truth is, we're going to have a lot of disappointments in life, aren't we? There's a lot of things that we're going to deal with. That was a silly example, but there's a lot of things that are going to hit us smack in the face. And it might put us on the ground. It might bring us to our knees, right? I mean, if you're breathing, if you're here today, I'm looking at all your beautiful faces, stuff's going to happen, isn't it? That's going to be really hard to deal with. Things that might even make us say, Lord, where are you? Are, are you even here anymore? Have you left me? Why is this happening to me right now? I know there's been a few things in my life where I've said that before, and it's hard. It's hard when you face those circumstances. Situations are going to happen where we might even feel paralyzed and completely out of control. We don't know how this is going to turn out, and it's totally unfair. This should not be happening to me. Situations that may even tempt us to doubt God's love for us in so many ways, right? And yet God proved his love for us on the cross. We can always go back to that. Situations are going to be overwhelming at times, and we're just not going to know what to do. So the question is not whether or not hardships will happen in life. The question is, what are we going to do when they do happen? How are we going to respond to those situations when they take place? Now, as believers, <clears throat> as those of us who know Christ as our Savior, we have something this world doesn't have, a relationship with the King of Kings. That's pretty amazing. We have the assurance that our God is sovereign over every situation. We have the understanding that we are in the palm of God's almighty hand, which doesn't mean that these hard things won't happen. It's through those trials, right, that we experience God's love, that we come to know him better, and that we really shore up our faith. But it does mean that we have someone to turn to and cling to and trust in when those things do happen. In scripture, just before Joshua's death, just before the book of Judges, before a really intense season of testing for Israel, in which they failed to obtain the remainder of the promised land as God had directed them to do, the Lord says this to them in Joshua 23, 8. Those of you who were in Bible study with me last semester, you'll remember this verse. I loved this one. It says, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Joshua 23, 8. You shall cling to the Lord just as you have done to this day. That word cling in the Hebrew is just as it sounds. It means to fasten yourself. I want you to 
picture is not hard to do because we're in the middle of winter, a really staticky shirt that is just clinging to you and you just can't get it off. Or maybe a two-year-old who's getting ready to be dropped off the church nursery and they are not letting go to their parent, right? They have the death grip on mom and they're not letting go. That's what this word cling means. Can you believe, like, that is what God wants us to do. He wants us, the, the creator of the universe, wants us to cling to him like that. That's really cool. What an invitation we have to cling to God. Jeremiah 13, 11 actually goes so far to say, the Lord says in this verse, God made Israel to cling to him like a loincloth clings to a man. So there's a visual for you right there. As a loincloth clings to a man, that's what the Lord wants you to do. So I think we just need to picture Spanx, okay? That's the kind of clinging God desires for us to do. Put those spiritual Spanx on and don't let go. But how do we cling to the Lord? How, how do we really hold fast to the King of Kings when disappointments surprise us? right? Because disappointments are going to surprise us. It's not just going to be breakfast. It's going to be lots of really hard things that we're going to have to wade through. What does it look like in that moment to cling to the Lord? And that's what we want to put legs to today. When I go to the Lord in prayer, um, you know, if something goes wrong and I turn to God and I'm, please help me, please help me, but I spend my entire prayer time complaining and panicking and begging for my will really over God's will, I'm not really going to the Lord at that point. I'm just stirring myself up in the name of Jesus at that point. That's what I'm doing. And panicky prayer times never offer the peace I'm looking for. That doesn't give me what I'm really looking for. And I'm not really clinging to the Lord at that moment either. So we need a game plan, right? We need to put feet to this idea of clinging to the Lord. And so for that, we're going to turn this morning to 2 Chronicles 20. So if you have your Bible, I would love for you to turn there with me. If you do not, don't worry, I will read it to you, or you can peek over the shoulder of a friend. 2 Chronicles 20. It's one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. 2 Chronicles 20, it takes place during the reign of King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he is surprisingly a pretty good king. We can't say that about a lot of kings, right? Thursday nights right now, we've been studying Saul, and now we're studying David. We've been studying David too, but it's fun to study David. It's not always fun to study these other kings. But Jehoshaphat is surprisingly a pretty good king. He is fifth in line for Judah's kings, or fifth removed from David, that is. Fifth removed from David. The order is David, Solomon, Jeroboam, Abijah, Asa, and then Jehoshaphat. And to start, I'm going to read to you what 2 Chronicles 17, 3-9 says about Jehoshaphat. So just listen to this. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat. The Lord was with him. Because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat and he had great riches and honor. His heart 
was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places and the Asherim out of Judah. In the third year of his reign, he sent his officials, Ben-Hail, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniel, Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah, and with them the Levites. And then he lists a whole bunch more names that I'm not going to say. And they taught, verse 9, and they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them. They, they went around to the towns of Judah teaching people once again the law. They were teaching people the word of the Lord. That is cool. That is really cool. And it says this, they went about through all the cities of Judah. They taught among all the people. I love that. Amen for some godly leadership, right? It'd be fantastic if we could just instill that once again. Now look at chapter 20 with me. The first two words of chapter 20, it says, after this. Okay, after what? We need to establish that. After all these great reforms, all the good stuff that Jehoshaphat had been doing in the land. That's what that means. After this. Okay? It says the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Moon, I don't know how to say that, Menites. It's actually the Ammonites, okay? So we'll just say Ammonites, depending on what your version says. The Moabites and the Ammonites, and then another group of Ammonites. They came against Jehoshaphat for battle. They came against him for battle, even after all the good things that Jehoshaphat had been doing in the land. That kind of doesn't make sense to us sometimes, right? We think, well, Lord, I've been doing all these good things for you. So wait, 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 what? Why is this happening to me now? I've been, I've been doing, I've been trying so hard. But yes, even after all the godly reforms that Jehoshaphat was putting into place, God still allowed Israel's enemy to come up against them. Why? Because it was time to put their faith into practice. They'd been studying, right? God had been teaching them. They'd been going around the land. It was time to put their faith into practice. So look at verse 2. Verse 2, some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazan Tamar. That is in Gedi. So I get the picture. They're pretty close. There's this great multitude coming against you, King Jehoshaphat, and they're really close. They are not far away. That's some bad news. That's some disappointing news right there. That's some startling news, right? Now, Jehoshaphat has a choice to make at this point. He can either fret about his sudden alarming news, the situation that he's found himself in. He can get really worked up, right? Uh, he could call all of his friends. He could call his mom. If he had the internet, he could have searched the internet. There's lots of possibilities he can do. He could take matters into his own hands, call the council. He could stuff his face. He could try and ignore it. He's got lots of options, right? There's a lot of possibilities. Or he can turn to the sovereign and holy almighty God who already has it under control. And spoiler alert, that's exactly what he does. He turns to the Lord. Look at verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid 
and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. I love how verse 3 states that. He set his face to seek the Lord. He set his face. Set his face. He was determined. He turned towards God. And he encouraged Israel to do the same. And they do. They had been taught the word of God. And they do. They assemble at the temple. And they fast. And they pray. Oh, how much it honors God when we say, Lord, I am afraid. I am tired. I don't know what to do about this situation. But I'm going to turn to you. I am going to look to you. I am going to set my face towards you. Psalm 105, 4 says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually, all the time. There's that clinging. Don't let go. Seek his presence continually. He knows we won't make it any other way. Turn your heart toward God and stay there. Because let me tell you, it's impossible to cling to someone you aren't actually facing, right? It's really hard to cling to someone if you have your back turned towards them. They can hold on to you, and the Lord does. But you can't hold on to them if you're not facing them. If we hope to cling to the Lord through any situation, it starts here. We have to go to the Lord for help. And when we turn to him, I think there's three very specific things that we can do. This is where we're really going to put feet to this idea of how we cling to the Lord. So look at verse 5. And when Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, before the new court, and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. After Jehoshaphat decides to set his face to seek the Lord, the first thing he does is this. He remembers. He remembers. He leads the assembly in prayer. He remembers who God is. He remembers what God has done. And he remembers what God has promised. Psalm 105.5 says, Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he uttered. This is key for us, ladies. When we face difficulties, our first line of defense is remembering. We have to remember who our God is, who it is we are talking to who it is that holds our right hand 
who it is that cares for us more than we will ever understand. Remember who it is that saved us. Remember what he went through to save us. Remember all God has done for you to get you to where you are today. You have to remember because viewing any situation through the lens of who God is and what he has done and his promises invariably shrinks our problem. Shrinks it when you do that. God is so much bigger than our circumstances. He is so, so much bigger than, than our circumstances and anything that we're ever going to go through. So I want to try this. I did this Thursday night with our Bible study. Think of something right now that has just, what, what's been bothering you? Maybe it's, it's probably already come to mind that since we've started talking. But just what, what's been weighing on you? What's really been on your heart lately? What's the thing that's just been really hard and you don't know what to do? You don't know how to deal with it. You're tired of it. You just wish it would go away. Get that in your head. And then listen to these verses, okay? Jeremiah 32, 27 says this, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for him? Here's a second one for you. 1 Timothy 6, 15. Jesus is the blessed and only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. Whew. Just two verses, and you see how our problem is already shrinking compared to God. I am the Lord. Is anything too hard for me? Jesus, the blessed and only sovereign King of kings. He is King of kings. He is sovereign. Whoosh. Shrink that problem. Shrink that difficulty. It is not too hard for him. Do you see how remembering brings the problem down to a level where we can maybe walk through it appropriately or with godliness? That's just two verses. We've got an entire Bible of verses. And then add to that some of God's promises. And he's given us so many to choose from. And we've got walls up again, ladies. We've got walls in place against even some of the most anxious thoughts that grab a hold of us sometimes. Yes, I can go on now because this is who my God is. This is what he's done. And this is what he's promised. And that's the rock I'm standing on today because my God is faithful. Wow. We have to remember. It's our first line of defense. When those thoughts come your way, when those difficulties just drop a bombshell on your lap, things happen. We have to remember. But we can't stop at remembering. That's not, it's not where we stop, okay? The second thing Jehoshaphat does here is this. Ready? He surrenders. First he remembers, then he surrenders. Look at verse 10 with me. He surrenders. Verse 10. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade. He's praying still. I stopped in the middle of his prayers. He's still praying. When they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. 
So he's still remembering at this point. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless. Here's the surrender. We are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's one of my favorite verses of all time. Because how many times have I felt and found myself in that position? We do not know what to do. I don't know what to do, Lord, but my eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat surrendered in that moment. We are powerless, but God, you are powerful. Too often, I think we remember, but we never actually surrender to God's will because we already have the situation planned out just the way we want it to go. We've already decided the way we want things to play out. This is what's best for me. So we beg God for that instead of trusting him for the outcome, right? I mean, nine times out of ten, when I'm really stressed about something, I'm just trying to control the situation, and I'm not really trusting God for his sovereign plan. I'm not looking to him for his outcome. I've not surrendered to his will. I'm just begging him for mine to be done. Please do it this way. Please do it this way. Please do it this way. But let me tell you something. Surrender ignites peace while control builds anxiety. I have found that to be very true in my own life. Surrender ignites peace while control builds anxiety. Ladies, our king is so good and so loving and so kind and so trustworthy. There is no one better to surrender an outcome to than him. No one, no one better. But here's the problem. It's really hard to surrender if you don't first remember. It's really hard to surrender if you don't first remember. And half the time, we're so clouded with anxiety, we aren't willing to stop and remember, so we never surrender. We just don't have the time. When I'm anxious, I need to clean. I'm too busy cleaning something for me to actually pause, remember, and surrender the situation to my Savior. Now, I want to stop and just pause here for a second and say this. What we're talking about here is surrendering daily situations to Jesus, okay? But if you have never surrendered your life to Christ, that is where you need to begin. We are all sinners. We're all in the same boat together. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. We can't earn our way to heaven. Jesus is the only way. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, said Jesus to us. So how do you surrender your life to him? You first of all turn to him for salvation. You have to look to him for salvation. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Him make it hard. It's a gift. Gifts are not necessarily 
hard to receive, are they? Usually they're a joy to receive. Christ died for our sins on the cross and rose three days later and is alive today. And when you turn to him by faith and believe that, you can have salvation. If, if that's not a place that you've been to yet, if that's not a decision that you have made yet, then I urge you not to leave here today without surrendering your life to Christ. So that's the first step. Then you'll have something to remember, right? Then you have the opportunity to remember and surrender after that, okay? Now, I want you to look with me at verse 13. I love this verse also. This is fun. Meanwhile, it says, all Judah stood before the Lord. And get this, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. I saw it was so cool that the Lord saw the need to put that verse in there. They stood there with their wives and their little ones. This wasn't just the men gathering together to call upon the Lord. It was the entire family standing before God, calling on him, asking him for help and deliverance. It was the entire family surrendering before the Lord. So often I think we want to shield our kids from whatever it is we're dealing with. But how will they ever learn to cling to the Lord themselves if we don't allow them to see us clinging to the Lord? My personal, just, just my personality is to hide those things. I, I just, I just want to, if something's going on with me, you know, I want to tell a couple of close friends, maybe Craig or whatever, but then I just, like, I want to shrink down and I just want to talk to the Lord about, which is, that is the first place that I need to go. But I will sometimes do all I can to hide from the kids what's going on, right? But, how, how are they going to learn if we don't allow them to see us clinging to the Lord? If we don't allow them to see us remembering who God is in these hard situations, right? And clinging to him. I, I just thought that was so neat that God put that verse in there for us mamas especially, right? That verse 13, I think, is for all of us moms. So far, these little ones have seen their parents remember and surrender, and now they're going to see God's faithfulness in a really big way. So look at verse 14. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Matana. When you're the speaker, you get to say names however you want. <laughs> and Levi of the son of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you. So he stands up. The word of the Lord is coming through him, and he has something to say to this assembly. Do not be afraid, he says, and do not be dismayed. Remember, God had said that to Joshua. But he says, do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle, however. Stand firm. 
Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. So cool. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord and the God of Israel with a very loud voice. God gave Israel a word of assurance and in response, Israel falls on their faces in worship. That's the third thing we do. We remember, we surrender, and we worship. We worship the Lord. That's how we cling to him. We worship him. Do you know what trust looks like? Trust looks like worshiping God in the wait. One thing we're not very good at is waiting, especially in our fast-paced society. But trusting God looks like worshiping in the wait. That's a visual that I like to hold on to. It looks like raising a hallelujah because God is good despite whatever it is I am dealing with and so I will worship him while I wait. I will worship him. It's a decision I have to make sometimes. It's not always easy but I will worship him in the wait. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, Stacy, fine, but God gave them an incredible word of assurance right when they needed it. I mean, a prophet spoke, like how perfect was that, right? And he just told them not to be afraid, not to be dismayed, and you're not gonna have to fight, don't worry about it. Like, I would love it if somebody came and told me that in the midst of my problem. I prayed and someone knocked on the door and said, hey, I have a word from the Lord for you. This is what he says. I'd sign up for that any day, right? But God has given us an entire book of assurances. We already have it. We don't need the Lord to speak to us because God has already spoken to us. It's right here. And it's full of assurances. It's full. So many assurances and promises are in here that we struggle to read all of it in a year. Right? That's always our goal. I'm going to read the Bible this year. We have a hard time even getting through it in a year because there's so much amazing stuff in here straight from the Lord to us, assuring us as we walk forward in faith. We don't need the Lord to come and knock on our door because he's already spoken. But I want to show you something else that I just love. Go to verse 20. I think that's where we stopped. Verse 20, and they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. We've had this word from him, but now believe it. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. I love that verse. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. 
How cool is that? He's not having them dress for battle. He's having these men dress in holy attire and go out in front of the army and sing. He's having them walk out in front of everyone else and sing to the Lord. And what are they singing? They're saying, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. That's the refrain of Psalm 136. So when you look at Psalm 136, I mean, I've read that psalm many different times, but never had I thought of it in the context of a battle until I read it there in 2 Chronicles 20. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. Just picture this. These men in this holy entire singing this as they walk out to the battle line to a fierce enemy that God has promised they will not have to fight against. Singing this. Picture them singing this as they're walking out in front of the army. To him, then they remember, they remember in this song, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. I wish I had a pretty singing voice and I could sing this to you, because I think it would be all the more that dramatic if I could, but I will spare you of that. You get down into verse 17 of Psalm 136, and then it says this, To him who struck down great kings, how fitting in that. To him who struck down great kings for his steadfast love endures forever and killed mighty kings for his steadfast love endures forever. This is what they're singing over and over and over and over, (laughs) reminding their hearts as they walk to a battle line, believing God's going to save them because he said he would, but not necessarily knowing it because it hadn't happened yet. Verse 23 of that psalm, it is he who remembered us in our low estate for his steadfast love endures forever and rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. That's so cool. That's, that's so cool. Now, if I can find Second Chronicles again. Verse 22. Verse 22. And when they began... Just, just let this sink in. When they began to sing and praise. <coughs> Did you hear that? When they began to sing and praise. Singing that song, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. When did the Israelites experience victory? When they began to sing and praise. Ladies, worship clinches the victory. Worship clinches the victory. Maybe not in the way you expected it. And maybe it doesn't necessarily take the problem away. Maybe the difficulty doesn't change. Maybe the hardship is still there. That's not what I'm saying. It's, it's, not, it's not some magical button, right? The victory is in here. That's where the victory takes place. 
Because that's where the battle's really raging inside, in our hearts, right? I've got this flesh that's always raging war against my soul as I'm trying to live for the Lord. And worship will clinch that victory for you right here, right here inside where it really matters. There is a great rescue waiting for us every time we choose worship over worry. Every time you make a decision, I'm going to worship right now. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. I'm going to cast this to my, my Lord and my Savior who I remember. He loves me. And he is with me. I am not alone. And I'm going to choose worship right now over worry. And maybe your circumstances don't change. But I am telling you, there'll be some other things that change. Okay? What we do when we face hard situations that we just don't know what to do. It's right here. How do we cling to the Lord? How do we cling to God? We remember we surrender, and we worship the king. That is how you cling to the Lord. We remember, we surrender, and we worship the king who fights on our behalf. He just told them to be still. He's going to take care of it. You know he's told us the same thing. I'll fight this battle for you. I've already fought the battle for you. I already won. I already gave you the victory at the cross. I'm already fighting. I'm fighting for you every day. I'm interceding for you every day. That's what the Lord wants us to know, right? I am your king. Just remember, surrender, and worship me. I'm fighting for you. I care for you, and I've got everything under control. Always. Always. We may not know what to do, but God does. He always knows what to do. <laughs> and I'm so thankful most of the time I don't know what to do and that is why we say Lord I don't know what to do but my eyes are on you I'm powerless against this great horde but you're powerful he's so powerful and that's why today I'm going to remember and I'm going to surrender and I'm going to worship the king let me pray father I love your word Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your savior. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for these women and fellowship and the freedom to be here this morning, Lord. Father, today our eyes are on you. There's a multitude of situations in this room, multitude of difficulties and struggles, God. But right now, collectively, we turn to you and say, our eyes are on you, God. And I just, I just pray that you touch these women individually exactly how they need. Just let them know that you are with them, that you love them, Lord. I pray that you shore up our faith, God. Give us the strength to turn and to trust you. Put thoughts in our mind, Father, that we remember who you are today and tomorrow and the next day. We remember who you are. Lord, help us to surrender to you, God. And I, and I pray also that, that we will have the, the faith and the endurance to worship you, God, as you truly deserve. 
We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. That's it. Mm-hmm.